arms with four inches So I guess I could have chosen a better word Perhaps I should say You can lead me in every way But if we're honest we both know that's absurd Hello and welcome to Our Movies Ourselves The Movie and Relationship Podcast I'm your host Jeff Frank And joining me is my co-host Emily Frank Emily, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Very well. For those new to the pod, Our Movies Ourselves is the podcast hosted sometimes by me, sometimes by Emily. We share movies that we love with each other uh, and talk about them. Sometimes we have differing opinions on them. Uh, Sometimes we have the same opinion. Today, we will have differing opinions on a certain movie. Is that correct, Em? Um, I would say yes. Great. The movie we have watched today is The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Uh, Zissou, is that really how you say it? Mm -hmm. Uh, Directed by Wes Anderson uh, in 2004. Uh, If you don't know the film, it is about Bill Murray killing a shark. And what are your thoughts about this film? Just uh, first off, well, you know, it's I was I was wondering what you were going to say to try to describe the movie because I think there's a a handful of ways you could describe it, but I guess on some level it is about Bill Murray killing a shark. There's good things about it. Okay, great. What uh good. We'll 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 uh perfect. I guess the long way to explain what this movie is about is uh that it follows Steve Zuso. Zisu. Let's see how many different ways you can pronounce. <laughs> I'm going to do all of them. Okay, good. So Steve Z. Uh, <laughs> Stevie Z's. Stevie Z's. He is a Jacques Cousteau type character um, who has had a career making underwater documentaries. And when we start the movie, he has just finished premiering um, his latest one uh, to lackluster. Uh, acclaim, then uh, finds and meets uh, somebody who believes that they are his son, played by Owen Owen. Wilson, Uh played by Owen Wilson. Uh, He plays Ned Plimpton, who uh, he believes is his son, decides to join them on uh, their next movie. The premise of the movie is to follow up with the previous one, where Esteban... Steve Zissau's friend was killed uh, by a leopard shark, something, a species they hadn't seen before. So as uh, Steve states in the premiere afterwards during a QA, and uh, his mission is to seek revenge on the shark. Uh, so that's kind of the idea that is the precipitating event that gets them all going. And he's followed by a reporter too, played by... Kate Blanchett, who sort of follows the crew or goes with the crew on their uh, trek to find this leopard shark. Right, as yeah. well as uh, Steve's uh, ex-wife, played by Angelica Houston. Mm-hmm. And later on, they run into uh, Hennessy, who runs Operation Hennessy, played by Jeff Goldblum. Mm-hmm. Uh, a real uh, treat, a cast of characters, um, great actors in it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I guess we start with what... I liked about the film. Sure. Right? Okay. And then we kind of go from there. Okay. We're making this up as we go. This, uh, well, let's talk about, I'll talk about, I think what's important for me for this film is that it was the first Wes Anderson movie that I ever saw. And to me, it was very revelatory because I had not seen any any film uh-huh. like this at all. I don't and think I knew that it was your first. That makes That makes more sense now. Well... There we go. Okay. See, revelations, exactly. people. This is why we, this is why we pod. New things about each other. Every day. Mm-hmm. It was my first Wes Anderson movie. Being a young film student in uh, 2004, this movie really struck me and just made me realize, I think, that films could be so much more complex than I was even beginning to be aware of. And so for me, that was a real... A real treat. Uh, I saw it as part of a humanities class, actually. And so we dissected the movie in class. Everybody went to go see it um, kind of on our own. And then we dissected it in class. And I remember sitting there and seeing it um, 
all pulled apart with all of these ideas and themes and just really being in awe of of that much in it. And um, certainly at the time, I wasn't watching movies like this. I was watching movies that every teenage boy watches, like action movies and, mm-hmm. and other garbage things. So, and we, we should say, too, that we chose this movie. I mean, we had talked about maybe doing this movie, but we chose this movie because GoldenEye was not on Netflix and we didn't want to pay money for it. That was the a movie that we were thinking about doing this this week. Yes, yeah, so the GoldenEye so, episode coming soon. Coming as soon as soon. GoldenEye hits Netflix. As soon Netflix, as one of you lends us a copy of GoldenEye. You can support us on Patreon. <laughs> yeah, so that's, for me, that's the history of it. And that's why I think that gives me that nostalgic effect of it. Mm-hmm. I also uh, really, in, even today, really enjoy just how crafty of a movie it is. There's such, everything is is made with such precision and detail, whether it's the costumes and the set design, uh, the lovely animations of the all the fish and underwater creatures, um, the set pieces and the props. Everything is just so made with such a, I think, a love for the subject matter, that being that Jacques Cousteau-style adventure documentary film it's very stuck in that kind of time with, um, you know, rotary landline phones and film stock and all of these, you know, old style technologies. Mm-hmm. It really just is so captivating. And what I always love about Wes Anderson movies is that he always has that right. level of detail in it. Yeah, that's definitely one of the things that I did like about the movie. But I would I was about to say it is his signature, I think. And does not surprise me that people want to be in his movies so bad. I imagine they are so much fun on set. Fun to just walk through his, his sets. The ship is bisected, right? I mean, yes. All of the scenes that take place on the ship are taking place. You're looking into the ship and then, and then he, he pans from room to room as people walk through it's gotta be super fun i mean yeah again it's just just a such a great piece of set and the way that it is that he plays with that too in the beginning of it we see that half literally steve zyso is he's standing in front of it and he says let me show you my boat and you see the entire thing as one giant set you do a room by room tour of it later in the act in the rest of the film you go and you see it from different angles, indicating they are on the ship or on a different set. Uh-huh. But on other places, you clearly see that they're using that same set for this real scene that's happening in the movie. The same way that that film and the films they make within it are kind of this construction of reality, it echoes exactly what they're making in the movie. And the the movies within the movies is just so great, is... It's so much fun, and it's it's just so great. I love seeing it and all of the pieces of production that they do and the way in which they're constructing the movie and, like, making it better and thinking up scenes and doing another take and all of that kind of stuff is so interesting, especially as someone who is such a film nerd. It's just, it's really fun and cool. Where would this rank to you on a scale of 1 to 10 of how Wes Anderson-y this movie is? How Wes Anderson-y this movie is? Yes. I think this has to be a 10. It's 10? It's, yeah. I mean, I think it's so, it's, to me, it is too Wes Anderson-y. Oh. Um, in, in some respects. In some respects. I, I do really love the sets. Well, do you, I mean, do you want me to, to kind of talk about the things that I like or don't like now or, or just talk about how Wes Anderson-y it is? <laughs> Well, I just, uh, I was curious. To me, it seems, a, you know, a mid-range one. I wouldn't put this anywhere above, like, a the Grand Budapest Hotel, which seems to me, like, Wes Anderson, like, to the extreme. Well, I guess it depends on what how you're defining Wes Anderson. I mean, if you think about the parodies that people have done of Wes Anderson stuff, they all look like this, right? They all look like like pans between rooms and uh, little things on shelves and, you know, kind of like 
very deadpan, unemotional acting. But do you think this does that more than Moonrise Kingdom and Grand Budapest? No, I mean, I I guess I would say... I mean, okay, I guess I'll revise my number to a nine. (laughs) Um... I think, Every other movie of Wes Anderson's being a ten in the Wes Anderson scale. Well, I, I, well, I, I don't think. I mean, honestly, how do you scale? How do you scale, <laughs> Wes Anderson? I feel like it's like a yes or a no. Is this Wes Anderson? <laughs> yes. Yes. A single drop. <laughs> yes, with an exclamation point. Yeah. This is a Wes Anderson film. Yes. I maybe I can share my first uh, Wes Anderson film was the Royal Tannenbaums. Still, well, that's that's not fair. Still my favorite. Well, that's not fair because that is the best Wes Anderson movie. Well, I'm sorry that your humanities teacher <laughs> decided to show you this one. I, I think it makes sense to me that you really love this and have a special place in your heart for this movie, having seen it as your very first one. The Royal Tannenbaums has that special nostalgia for me having seen it as my very first Wes Anderson movie and also it is fantastic so I lucked out that like the one I have a have a special place for is also the very best one I do and I I love many uh Wes Anderson movies I think most of the movies that I have seen of his which I guess is all of them now we even saw Bottle Rocket, right? Most of his movies I I like a lot or or love. This one I just don't really have the same affinity for. I think to be honest, some of those dials, some of those like Wes Anderson dials are dialed up too high in this movie for me. And uh it kind of distracts a little bit from from whatever he's trying to do. <laughs> whatever it is the point that he's trying to make which I still am not quite sure about what that point is if I may of course um it's your it's your pod okay thank (laughs) thank you here's why here's what I think is is interesting about it I and why even watching it again I still um am finding a similar connection I think that Steve Zesua is such a complex character and has many many layers of insecurity and overcompensation and that hides like a genuineness and, a, and an identity that is so all over the place that watching it again and again like I find different angles to to approach it obviously the one that one angle of it that I don't think ages very well at all is his toxic masculinity and, and yeah be- serious homophobia like there's some slurs in there yeah absolutely yeah it, it, that part of it is like oh no no this is i think what also is very interesting about it is that it deals a little bit with the idea of early found success and being suddenly celebrity and kind of dealing with that success over a long period of time mm-hmm. um that's when we pick it up in steve's lowest point in popularity in the greater culture and in a lot of times through it you know they make reference to kind of the old days and this is what we've been doing we're a ragtag crew nobody knows what they're doing we've just kind of been doing it right. and so that sort of stumbling into success and with the death death of Esteban at the beginning, that really marking the end of that era, and they're still, I think, trapped in that adolescent uh, success stage. They're that adolescent filmmaking, adolescent adults. There, they just started doing a thing and kept doing it because it worked for them. And as opposed to trying to either update themselves or kind of to improve what they're doing or to look beyond that whatever it was in those early days that kind of built who they were they never changed from that Mm -hmm. and so i feel a lot of this kind of trapped in time their things are nice but for 10 years ago we see that contrasted with the operation hennessy which has high-tech gear and you know an advanced station and a bigger ship and bigger grant money and i think what also is so interesting about the movie is that Steve is so hopelessly alone 
and by his own design, through the choices that he's made in that by keeping people away or by being toxically masculine or being um, homophobic in some ways or by assuming that he's really good at what he does. And with Ned Plimpton, Owen Wilson coming in to it, upending that ending that type of trap is, is like a, a, a way out for him. And again, he uses it to do the same thing. Takes advantage, finds the money in it, and goes out to film another movie with his friends. Mm -hmm. And like that's such a tragic, tragic character. Right. Yes, I I would call him tragic, but I I think you had called him complex. And like I don't know if I really see sort of like the good underneath that or like the genuineness that that he has that would make that complex. To me, his his character's just a an ass and an idiot and he's gotten by sort of on the shoulders of the people around him his entire life and then he doesn't even really suffer any consequences of it i mean aside from another person close to him dying when owen wilson's character dies he doesn't even really seem to be you know he ends up with a successful movie he doesn't i don't know i don't see i don't feel connected to him at all as a as a character i don't i don't feel connected to like any good sides of him and last week we talked about another bill murray character in groundhog day and we talked about how he was kind of a jerk but that like he had likability for one reason or another and sort of underneath that shell there was this like thing you know that that people like about him or whatever this character i i just don't feel that at all for him and i think that keeps me from being able to really care about much in this movie like that's that's the hardest thing for me is like i don't care that much about this movie uh or the characters in it and particularly him i don't really like i don't want good things for him really i don't think he deserves good things i i don't know i mean i guess i want him to change but you don't think that he changed by the end i mean i see some change in him but i think i i don't know to be honest i think the change that I see is a little bit, a little bit separate from, from the events that take place. You know, at the very end, you see him sort of like take more interest in that little kid at the movie premiere or whatever. Mm -hmm. That shows a change because he kind of blows that kid off at the beginning. Kind of shows a change, but I, I don't know. Is that just sort of like his... I guess, longing for this son that he lost. I, I don't know that the movie was built up for me to really care whether he changed or not. That's a fair point, and I, I think that that's accurate. I don't think you're necessarily supposed to like him very much. And I think a part of it is not that he's going to change and be a better person and then be really successful, but I think rather than him living a life that's external and in front of the camera and for, you know, his success de defined by external factors and external critics and external deals and movies and brands and the, the club, I think by the end of it, he realizes that it, he has to be satisfied. That that is what kind of changes, is that he has to be real about who he is. And in that moment where he falls in this staircase and he calls Ned down and says, you know, this is what I am. I'm a person who's fallen down mm -hmm. with everybody around. Like, I'm just an old man. It's not, yeah, it's not about him changing. It's about him being okay with the irrelevancy of himself. Mm -hmm. That he's just a, an old man. And that he doesn't have anybody in his life anymore. And right. that's something he can't keep running away from. It's something that he can't go back down to the bottom of the sea, be alone, and, you know, and find success in something. Mm-hmm. That, you know, and it's a subtle journey. And he, he, I don't think that you end up liking him at the end. And I don't like him. But that doesn't make me like the movie any less, is that I don't like the character. Right. Because he isn't, he isn't very likable. And I think that's a real interesting thing to do in a movie. Right. The sort of 
non-likable character is in some ways sort of a trademark of Wes Anderson. I think that in other films of his, the non-likable character serves as an antagonist. And in this movie, he is the protagonist. It feels like. I mean, I like your framing of his arc as just becoming public with who he really is. Like, I, 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 I like that. That makes me appreciate his character more on like a cinematic level but doesn't make me enjoy watching him more or like root for him more you know it's just not like in so not to go back to royal tenenbaums but gene hackman's character royal royal is in some ways very similar to steve zisu yeah the thing is for well first of all everybody else in the royal tenenbaums is quite likable Almost every other character is delightful in their mm -hmm. own ways. And he is set up as sort of as the antagonist. And then sort of the journey is, you know, kind of his uh, reconnecting with his family. But even so, kind of in, in the movie, like you love, you sort of love the movie despite him. And, and then you kind of grow to, to sort of love him because they love him. In this, like, well, first of all, they don't really establish anybody else that's super likable. I mean, they establish other characters, but I don't feel connected to them very closely. Even Owen Wilson's character just, it just seems pretty bland. And that could be the acting piece, too, because the other thing about Royal Tenenbaums is, like, there's... Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's character who's doing the deadpan like sort of underacting mm -hmm. but everybody else is acting at a normal level and he has that in some of his movies where like one person has like very deadpan lines and everybody else is emoting like a human being <laughs> but in this movie it feels like everybody's doing that sometimes keeps me from feeling like they are human beings. It feels more like they are marionettes or something. They're just... Well, if I can put my uh, film teacher hat on, uh -huh. that would be part of tying into that theme of it being a constructed story, right? The way in which Steve acts badly in his documentaries may also reflect, you know, going a, la a layer up in the inception of this movie mm -hmm. being within itself. Mm. Well, that's an interesting thought. And again, doesn't make me enjoy the movie more. Yeah, and maybe at the end of our podcast, I will appreciate the movie more, having discussed it with you. But I don't think, at least the things that you've pointed out so far, like, make me enjoy the movie more. I do love Wes Anderson, and I don't think that he did the things in this movie accidentally. I think he puts a lot of thought into all of his things. But this one I just don't really enjoy, you know. Can I ask you how you felt about the the climactic line at the very end finally being finally confronting the jaguar shark in the submarine surrounded by everybody and uh, Steve's line of do you think it remembers me? Uh, I like that line. Okay, all right. Wonderful. <laughs> Moving on. No, I like that line. I like the idea of that line. If this movie were really set up as sort of this revenge story, I like sort of that idea of it. And I think his sort of self-centeredness, the line makes sense in that context too. That's sort of like, it's all about me. Does he remember me? But I think the whole piece at the end of the, with the jaguar shark is undercut by the fact that we never meet Esteban. We never meet the person who died that, like, he's going to avenge his death, right? We've never met the person, and we don't even really talk about him. We don't even talk about who, like, how how important he is or whatever. Like, there's just minimal references to him. And so at the end, when they're like, let's go about, let's go get the jaguar shark, to me it feels pretty hollow, and the line do you think he remembers me? While uh, a sort of an interesting line in some ways, 
I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't care if the jaguar shark remembers you. I don't remember Esteban. Like, I forget halfway through this movie that Esteban even died because I didn't ever meet him. Like, where do, I mean, and maybe this is a like, self-centered issue for me. Like, where do I fit into this movie? Like, what am I supposed to feel about this movie? It's just sort of like playing. What did you think uh, about this line? Allow me to tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> um, I think the entire premise, I think the entire soul of this movie is that line. Because that is the only thing he's ever wanted in his life is to be famous and to have a lasting legacy and to surround himself with people who will do anything for him, who will give him accolades, who will, who, to have respect at the Explorers Club, to be getting the grant money, to be doing the only thing that he knows and to be famous for doing it. And in that moment, the only, the thing that is his discovery, he just, he's so fearful of being forgotten because he doesn't know if anybody would do what he did as he did for Esteban cements the idea that this is again that he is all alone and he's not going to have a legacy and his legacy is going to be something that he can't control which is the part with uh Kate Blanchett trying to you know him trying to ha- having an idea of what his legacy is going to be and having his own vision of what he wants it to be, but ultimately he's not the judge of that, right? He's not the person that writes that article. It's somebody who at the end has to look at what he said and what he did and to make value judgments from their point of view. He doesn't control that narrative. And in that moment, you know, does it at least remember me, I think is his most vulnerable point in that movie. All of that all of that fear there and all that that scared 11 and a half year old boy who just wanted to go into the ocean and make a movie with his friends never grew out of that never grew out of that that want to just be there and to be famous there he never built anything beyond that and so he's really asking himself that question right he's not asking the the leopard shark, or he's not asking the people there. It's a question for himself. I think you're reading a lot into... Bro, <laughs> no! No! It's all there! I So, okay, I can see... I can see where you go with this. I, I mean, I can follow that, but I also... What tells you that he's, like, so obsessed with being famous? Like, he lives on his boat seems to only interact with his handful of, you know, acquaintances. I don't I don't really get that flavor from him that he like really is in love with being famous or or uh, you know, having a legacy. I mean, it seems like he wants to make movies, but it almost seems like that is just sort of like a job, you know. I, again, I just I think that his underlying motives for things are not that clear because he's not giving us much emotion wise. I mean, I, I think I like your I like your interpretation of it, but I don't think I don't think that a lot of people would see this movie and like absolutely catch that from what's actually there versus what you would put onto a character from your own from your from your own mind, from your own thoughts. Well I, this isn't an argument. <laughs> we don't, no, we don't, we don't have arguments. But I think, I think it's, I'm not making it up. It's all in the movie. I think there's little lines and there's little indications and there's, it's not the main, it's not the center of it, but I think they're there. Him wanting to control the narrative and wanting to make sure that his reputation is always the sterling reputation that it was before it all to me plays into the same uh just having that his fear of of not being liked or not having a favorable view outside of his circle okay so then is your point that i wasn't watching closely enough (laughs) and that's why i didn't like this movie 
No. Okay. <laughs> but why, what didn't you like about it? Well, uh, I, I didn't like him. He is not a good man. And yes. I think, yeah, I don't like his character. I'm not really interested in following his character. The development of the characters, I, I, there, there are characters around him that I like, but I don't think that they're developed enough for me to really care about them either. Owen Wilson's character, Kate Blanchett's character, uh, Angelica Houston, um, Jeff Goldblum, like even the interns, like they're f- sort of funny and there's sort of like funny things that happen to them, but they don't make me feel anything. And even when Owen Wilson dies, I'm like, oh, well, okay, well, you know, like it just, I don't have a connection to anybody. So that's, a, I think, a big piece of what I didn't like about this movie. I, I don't love the animation stuff. I know you said that you did, and that's that's fine. Um, they, it just seems like a little bit out of place and I really do like the sets. As I said, I I like the kind of the camera stuff that he does. Uh, I like the music. Great music. Mm -hmm. The David Bowie covers. I like that. I like, um, the three-legged dog. Cody. (laughs) Gotta, gotta have a three-legged dog. That's one of my favorite lines. We gotta go back for Cody. Goodbye, Cody. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I like that. Um, you know, there's some. I think there are some funny parts to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I do like the sort of dynamic of Jeff Goldblum's character having like all the great equipment, and he's you know very successful, and uh, you know just sort of that stark contrast, and then also them going and stealing his stuff. <laughs> um, the characters are not enough for me. And I think that the fact that like pretty much everybody in this movie is just not acting, just deadpanning the entire movie. It's hard to, it's hard to watch. I mean, I found myself distracted, distracting myself, you know, like going on my phone or whatever while I was watching. And maybe it's true while I was doing that, I was just not paying attention to those teeny tiny little details of him throwing his earring away. And maybe if I was just really, really forcing myself to pay super close attention, I would have caught on to like some of those subtleties. But like... Well, you don't appreciate this movie until the fourth or fifth viewing. So I'll concede that. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't think I'm going to watch it anymore. So Now that this is the last time. This was my last time watching this movie. Super. Since we have kind of uh, reviewed that, what do you think it says uh, about me that I like this movie? Um, so I was actually, I, I feel like I'm going to change my answer because I, initially I was thinking, gosh, what does, what is this movie to Jeff? Like why, out of all the Wes Anderson movies, like why this one? Uh, why does it stand out so much to him? I was thinking really those sort of like production piece of it must be his, must be his favorite part, must be like what's so important about it to him. I think now having learned that it was the first Wes Anderson movie that you saw and having learned that it was a movie that you saw as you sort of started down the road of studying film in, uh, in school I think that that is definitely like a representation of that for you. I, you know, I, I think having not seen any other Wes Anderson movies, really whichever Wes Anderson movie you, you see first, there is going to be an impact on you. You're going to be affected by it. That's why I recommend to all of you who have never seen a Wes Anderson movie, please go see the Royal Tenenbaums. It's fantastic. Make that be your very first one. So yeah, I think it is definitely, this is a representation for you of complex movies beginning to dig beneath the surface. I do think that maybe there's a piece of the sort of like father-son connecting 
story piece that maybe speaks to you. Yeah, I, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't want to say that you... Well, who who do you think you identify with most in this movie? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I think I always really liked the Klaus character, uh, Willem Dafoe. I think there's uh, some sort of like fierce loyalty there that's really interesting. I, I, I don't know. I find different characters I... I have different feelings towards a lot. Like, I feel like Ned Plimpton, um, Owen Wilson's character, is so... There's such a, like, a puppy dog type of feel for him mm -hmm. that uh, I think is really, is really sweet. Uh, I think there's... Uh, I think, like, the crew, like, as one kind of body is interesting. I don't know. Okay. All right. <laughs> and I do think that that in itself, like, if you don't, if you don't have, like, a character where you identify with them it is a little bit hard to have like an anchor in a movie. And that's, that's how I feel in this movie. I don't have a particular character that I like identify with closely. I was asking you really to see if like, is there a, is, you know, do you identify with Owen Wilson's character? Is it, is there like a father son piece of it? I think that what I connect with maybe the most with like the Steve Ziswa character is it, it's sort of a end result of a path that I could see myself going down. And so that it's sort of almost, not that I w would ever be destined to be famous, but just being so full of yourself and being so unable to grow and unable to connect outside of what you've already done, either becoming so unlikable or just uh, of having just such a false sense of reality and such a false sense of self hmm. that to me is like, uh, I don't, it, that's really where I'm like, don't be Steve, you know, don't, don't do those type of things. How do I avoid that type of thing? So it's like a cautionary tale to you. I think so. And that's kind of what it really got. And, and to me at that time, you know, thinking about what I wanted my life to be and thinking about that future type of thing you know it, it is sort of at the end of that journey and then to see that it's very much like in in that way i i think of it as a tragedy and the way that we watch a tragedy to be like you know that's why people shouldn't be so full of pride that's why people should be more respectful of people you know in mm -hmm. a tragic character i think in in for me that's that's kind of what i saw okay. and, and wanted to create a false reality for myself mm -hmm. and be stuck in an adolescent state of mind. Right. Um, which I think was a possibility for me at that time of to be, to just be stuck in my same high school self mm -hmm. and to not grow and to not move out of that. Um, which, you know, having the foresight of where I am now back to that, I mean, of course right. it's easy to see and, and connect with that now, but it, it not, and again, not a connection, but almost like an opposite polarity uh -huh. of like, Oh Yeah. I, I connect because I do not want to connect with that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be that. Well, I think what it says about you that you don't like this movie is that you clearly already saw the best Wes Anderson movie <laughs> <laughs> before you saw this movie. And so uh, obviously had a, uh, a different uh, meter stick to mm -hmm. uh, examine it. Right. But I think that being said, there is, there's a lot not to like about this movie. And I think you are at a level of discerning in that taste that you're like, you know, why would I waste my time if I, you know, if it, if I know it can be better and I know it can be better from the same damn director, you know, right. then yeah. that would feel, you know, very much that way. I think also you have such a connection to characters who are empathetic and characters who <laughs> are able to change in major ways and mm -hmm. people who are able to have emotional connections yeah, th I think this doesn't offer that type of that type of character. Those type of characters, contrary to what even in just other Wes Anderson movies are able to do. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think that the character-driven stories, the you know, sort of uh, protagonist-led stories, are ones that I identify with more. Ones that I enjoy more i yeah i like people who like people right like i like people who are nice to others to other people or at least grow to be nice or at least 
<laughs> suffer consequences from not being nice, right? Yeah. Like that doesn't happen in this movie and it's a little bit frustrating. Yeah. Well, I concur. What do you think it says about us that we have differing opinions on this movie? And certainly in this one, um, the gulf between us is truly that, a gulf um, <laughs> of how we feel about this movie in um, in Groundhog's Day. I don't think it was very much. I liked Groundhog's uh-huh, Day right. a lot. It was just a matter, it was a difference of, I like it like and I love, love it. Right. And now it's, I think, uh, love versus I love this movie. Don't and really like. I will never watch this movie again (laughs) if I had it my way. Uh Um, So, well, what do you think? What what do you think it says about us that we have these two very different opinions about this movie? I think it says a lot, actually, about our memories of movies. And actually, I want to share the a couple of a couple of Wes Anderson movies that we saw together for the first time that. so Darjeeling Limited, we both, we went to see in the theater. It was actually even before we were dating. We both liked it. I think you liked it quite a bit more. Yes. And we both liked it, even though I didn't really love it. I don't think that there's a ton in that movie that really speaks to me. I remember it very fondly because we went to see it together. And and because we talked, I, I, I we went to Islands for dinner afterwards. Mm-hmm like you do in <laughs> 2007 before we had money to go to better restaurants <laughs> before there like seemingly were better restaurants um we so we went to islands afterwards and we talked about wes anderson and we talked about movies so i have fond memories of that i also have very fond memories of moonrise kingdom that we went to see in the theater the week after our dog penny had died and um, we were both, of course, feeling like garbage and went to see this movie um, to sort of, I think, cheer each other up. And it worked. It was uh, delightful. And we, I think, I, so anyways, that long story short, I think it says about us a fair amount that like this, per, this movie particular for you has significance as the first movie that you watched. Clearly, Royal Tannenbaum's for me, the first Wes Anderson movie that I watched. And we are Wes Anderson fans, and having a, a you know a, a special place in your heart for the movie that you saw first makes absolute sense. And I think it says a lot that even though the fact that we can both love a director on the whole have some differences, some significant differences on particular movies of his, to me speaks to sort of our, like, we are very similar and also have differences, and those differences are not monumental. Yeah, that's what I think it, it says about us. What do you what do you think? I concur with everything you said. It is nice to have differing opinions about things that we care about, as opposed to it being just because oh, we're different. Uh, I think it's nice that that I can like something and you can respect that Mm -hmm. and see what I like in it. And I think it similarly that I recognize you don't like this movie and I recognize every point that you have about not liking it and it makes complete sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to change my opinion on it and I don't want to change your opinion on it. And what I I hope to do, and I know I'm not great at this and I want to work at it, is that sometimes in a discussion of it, uh, where I try to be persuasive as to my theses and my presenting arguments can come off as argumentative. Uh-huh. And I apologize for that. The intent isn't, I hope, to change opinions, but rather to find that common ground mm-hmm. in in where we get our ideas. Right. So I do hope to get better with that. That is something I always want to improve upon. But I... Um, I like that we have different opinions, and I like that you have a different opinion mm-hmm. because it makes me have to think about my opinions in a deeper and stronger way because I always know you have something to, um, you're going to see it from a different point of view. I remembered what I was going to say, and that's just that uh, I appreciate our discourse, and yes, while sometimes it feels like you're trying to change my mind, uh, you did give me some things to think about 
for this movie as far as as far as sort of underlying components that you know me a lay person just a movie appreciator not in the biz as they say so i think you have you've brought up some things that you know kind of suggest a little bit more complexity to the the character um than i would have seen definitely again does not change whether i enjoy the film or not <laughs> but does make me think a little bit more about uh you know what they are and it also i think as you talk about movies that well if you if you think about for this movie the theme being sort of like he realizes he's just an old man and he sucks I think it says one more thing about me that I don't like this movie because my absolute <laughs> least favorite genre or subgenre of film is old person movies or old man movies, especially like Space Cowboys, Space Cowboys The Odd Couple, Wild Hogs, yeah. uh, Grumpy Old Men. Yes, Grumpy Old Men. Absolutely cannot stand those movies. Um, and if at its core, that's all this movie is dressed up like a Wes Anderson movie. Well, it makes perfect sense that I don't like this movie. Well, the fourth viewing is where it really takes off. Mm. Let's take a break. I'll play the music you pay the bills. I'll lie awake and watch you sleep. Are your dreams being fulfilled? Today's show is not brought to you by Sunbasket. If it were, this is where we would advertise Sunbasket, the meal delivery service that comes straight to you. Sunbasket delivers fresh, organic ingredients to your door with detailed instructions on how to make a delicious home-cooked meal in no time. If Sunbasket were to sponsor us, I would tell you how they have options for gluten-free, vegetarian, paleo, family plans, and more. If there were to be an offer code, you would go to sunbasket.com slash ourmovies. Again, that would be sunbasket.com slash our movies. But Sunbasket is not a sponsor, so don't go there. Or do. It's your life. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back, and now it's the time we're going to talk about um, Emily's observations from a psychological standpoint. I'm sure there's a mess of things that you could really go into in this. Um, but what, what do you have for us? Yeah, I mean, there, I could go into a lot of things, but I actually am not going to, I'm not going to go into a lot of things. Uh, I'm going to go into just one thing I noticed, um, that actually sort of proves, proves your point, just sort of a, a recognition of there is, uh, Erickson's stages of psychosocial development Erickson has this sort of theory of kind of these different stages of life that you would, um, that people go through in, in general and they start at birth and they kind of go all the way through old age and they're all sort of like, um, tasks and consequences. So, um, the first one is trust versus mistrust and, um, kind of moves forward from there, autonomy versus shame and doubt. There's all these kind of things that like, you know, in that stage, I'm trying to get to this. If, if not, I, my, my result is that, and that has sort of some ramifications for my life. So one of the, actually the second to last one that his, in his theory, people would tend to be in their sort of forties, fifties, sixties is uh, generativity versus stagnation. And I think you can see like sort of it in middle age, people wanting to, to leave a legacy, right? To, to leave something behind or to, to be somehow, uh, doing something that has some significance, not just, you know, working away at a factory job, not just kind of, you know, being stuck in a corner or, or whatever. And the other piece of that definitely is sort of giving on to the next generation, sort of in his whole life there is that sort of stagnation or there has been for quite a long time so yeah absolutely um so yeah i mean i think erickson's stages don't get used a lot in psychology today but sometimes if you see the if you see his character through that lens it, it makes some sense you know and it does seem like you know he's sort of he is wanting to see generativity in a different way interesting 
Thanks. Shout out to all the psychology majors out there. Yeah, because those stages, man, they on the final. You got to study. You got to study. Don't forget that middle one. Right after math. Industry versus inferiority. Ooh. Let's check our uh, listener mail. This is the part where uh, we take a look at what you've sent in for us to our email, ourmoviesourselves at gmail.com. Again, ourmoviesourselves at gmail.com. First email and only email comes from Sasha. Uh, she enjoyed our uh, low tone from last time. Uh, tonight we are not burdened with that. Our son is not, uh, he is at the grandparents' house tonight, so we're able to speak as loud as we'd like. Louder! But probably that won't be the norm. Yes, please don't get used to it, as usually he will be asleep in the next room. Sasha also suggests, gave us a suggestion, um, the old 80s chestnut, some kind of wonderful... Um, Emma, have you seen some kind of wonderful? I have not. Okay, neither have I. So we won't be doing that movie. Sorry, Sasha. Thank you for writing in, Sasha. Yes. Um, we appreciate that uh, you're listening. And, um, you know, maybe we'll watch it. We're both shaking our heads. Well, that concludes that part. Feel free to write us. Feel free to write us if um, if you want to make a suggestion about the show, if you have feedback, or if you want us to answer some relationship advice uh, for you, if you have questions about the psychosocial hierarchy of Maslow's Pyramid, we can talk about that <laughs> as well. Uh, send us your questions, our movies, ourselves at gmail.com. Well, Emily, any last final thoughts about the life aquatic with Steve Ziswa? Um, I would just like to say that I, I really. Movies with three legged dogs just. I mean, it it gives you an automatic little boost. So for all you aspiring filmmakers out there, just add one in. Sage advice. Emily, thank you for potting with me tonight. Mm -hmm. Thank you for being my guest. And we'll see you next time. Take care. This has been Our Movies Ourselves, the movie slash relationship podcast. Send us a line at ourmoviesourselves at gmail.com. Our Movies Ourselves is a production of Frank Studios and is recorded in beautiful, normal heights, San Diego, California.